Well, there you go. A little bit of joy for the students. I love that. And uh, that's what this series is about, is not only uh, bringing joy into our own life and how do you do that, especially when you're going through a hard time, but we're going to start getting into today, how do you bring joy into other people's lives? And uh, if you're a guest, thank you so much for being here today. It really does mean a lot to us that you'd give us a little bit of your time. My name is Kenny. I'm the campus pastor. And I know Kurt welcomed you a moment ago, but again, I just want to say thank you for being here. As we continue this series that we're calling Joy Ride. Now, we have something that we are very excited about coming up next Sunday, which is our baptism party. And so many of you have already signed up to be baptized and get dunked, which is a great, great, great thing. If you have never been baptized, I want to tell you quickly uh, what it's about. Baptism comes after you've given your life to Christ, that you made a decision for Jesus, making him the king of your life, and you want to be a Jesus follower. Your very next step that you should take is to be baptized. Now, I know a lot of people, maybe they were sprinkled when they were younger or baptized even as a baby, but they don't remember it. It wasn't important to them. It was important to the parents or the grandparents. Nothing wrong with that. And you, if that were you, use that as a foundation to make a decision for your own life to tell the world about Christ and to go the next step in your own journey with him so that you can remember it, so that it can be a moment for you. Baptism is simply this. You're closing the door on your past and you're opening up a brand new door on your future. So here's how this is gonna work. If you've never been baptized, join the others that are gonna get dunked next Sunday. We've never had anyone drown, so no fears there. That's a great thing. Right after this service, go to the table that you'll see right outside. Sign up to be baptized. This is the last Sunday that you can do that. And you'll get a baptism shirt, and then we will contact you about what's going to happen. Because next Sunday, um, after the last service, we'll all go out into the parking lot, not get run over by cars. So that'll be really good. And we will have a hot dog party with snow cones and all the fun stuff as we celebrate those who are telling the world that they've given their life. Christ. So if you've never, never done that, I'm encouraging you, imploring you to do that today. Make that decision because next Sunday will be a lot of fun and I want you to be a part of that, okay? Uh, today, we continue our series in Joyride. And what we're discovering is this, that joy really is a decision that you can make and happiness is tied to circumstances, but joy is actually tied to God. Happiness it comes, it goes based on what's coming to you or what's going away from you. Joy you can have in any circumstance of life because joy is actually tied to the God who made you, the God who loves you, and the God who sees you and really does have your best interest in mind. And we said this, the guy who's actually writing this has a lot to say about joy especially in times of struggle, in times of trials, because the guy who's writing this was named uh, Saul. He hated Christians, killed Christians, imprisoned Christians, and then he met Christ and became a Christian, and everything changed, including his name. And now he's actually writing a, a, a letter. Uh, you know, when we look at the New Testament in the Bible, we call it books of the Bible. Nothing wrong with that, but they're actually letters. And Philippians is a letter that he wrote to a group of Christians living in Philippi. Now, what I love about that is we can see it this way, that it's not just a letter written to Philippians, but it's also a letter written to us. So this is like a letter written to 
um, Richmondites or, you know, uh, Rosenbergians, you know, whatever. It's like, it's for us. And so we can take what he's saying to those early Jesus followers who are going through a very hard time, and we actually can put our name on it going, wow, this is, this is life-giving and joy-filled living right here in the midst of a time of life that is really, really difficult for me. And what I love about this as well is I've encouraged all of you to, during this series, to do a couple of things. Number one, if you don't have a Bible, make sure you get a Bible that you can understand and that you can read. And just to read through the letter of Philippians during this series. By the time this is over, you will have read through a book of the Bible. Maybe you've never done that before. And so that's really cool. Download it on your phone if you need to and just read it throughout the work day or throughout school. Um, pay attention to your teachers though. But you know you know what I'm saying. The second thing I encouraged you to do was uh, not only to get a Bible if you don't have one and read through it. The second thing was make sure you're here every Sunday as we go through this series series together over the next several weeks because I'll probably bring out some things in the passages that maybe you've not known before, maybe you remembered growing up, but now it's just kind of new to you all over again. But the third thing I encourage you to do was get into a group. Get into a group during this series, a small group that meets in your neighborhood, meets in your community, so that you can study this together and develop great friendships along the way. And I was emailed this story by, by someone who goes to, to Regal, and I love this family, great family. It's Joan Lopez. And Joan Lopez, she actually wrote about her small group and what it's meant to her and asked, can, can I read this to everyone? Because it's so encouraging. And she said, absolutely, you can read that. And this is what she said in her email. She said, I cannot truly express in words how important and life-changing my small group is to me. Over the last two years, our couple small group has been so important in not only our spiritual health, but also our mental and physical health. We've had several deaths in my family back to back, health issues among our children and extended family, and of course, most recently, my own cancer trial. From minutes after hearing those words, you have cancer, to the moment my oncologist gave those waiting, uh, waiting for me in the hospital room the results of my surgery, our small group, along with our husband's men's group, and many new women's group members just showed up. They loaded us up with prayer, encouragement, and some great food. That's reason enough to be in a small group right there. When the enemy tried to get in our heads, it seemed like God would use someone in my small group to reach out at just the right time. Coincidence? Not on your life. Listen to this phrase. That's God in one of his best forms. What a great sentence to describe what a small group is. That's God in one of his best forms. Who was I that so many people had prayed for me to be cancer-free after surgery? I can tell you that it is so incredibly humbling. I cannot even fathom where we would be without my small group and their love, prayers, and support. It is true. The circle knows. With much love, Joan Lopez. Isn't that an amazing testimony about a small group who rallied around, not just an individual going through a hard time, but rallied around the family to say, you're not doing this alone. We know, we see you, and we're gonna walk with you. And so there's someone who's, who's doing life together in a circle, not just in a row, because the rows don't know, but the circles do know. And what Paul is gonna say to us today is this. There's going to be a temptation for you in your life to not worry about anyone else in your life when they're going through a hard time. Because why? You're going through a hard time. 
So in your hard time that you're going through, you need to be concerned about your hard time. He's actually going to flip that over on his head. And in Philippians chapter two is where we pick this up. And in Philippians chapter two, verse three, here's what he says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That, the word nothing, do nothing in Greek, do you know what it means? Nothing. That's what it means in Greek. Do nothing. And if you want the emphasis, just slow it down. Do no thing. Do no thing. Not one thing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Those two words put together, it actually presents this picture of a competition that you're having with someone. I call it one up, one down. In a marriage, it can be so tempting to be one up, one down. Well, I did this for you. Now you should do this for me. But what happens in a marriage is I did this for you. Now you should do this for me. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, I'm gonna do this for you. And it becomes this one up, one, 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 up, one, uh, one down game that we play. But little do we know in our relationships and friendships, it can be the same way. Hey, I did this for you. I scratched your back. Dude, you should scratch my back. And instead of our relationships being level on the same playing field, we play a one up, one up, one down game with each other. One up, one down, one up, one down, one up, one down. It actually becomes two up, two down. Three up, three down. Four up, four down. And now a wedge and a distance grows between us because of what he just said can happen so easily in our minds that it's really all about me. And I want to get back at you. Not that I want to stay even with you, which requires forgiveness, grace, saying I'm sorry, saying please forgive me. That evens the level playing field so that we can do life together and not a one up and one down mentality of it's really all about me and I want you to serve me in this moment. Now, that may work well with sports, especially when this, the, the, and I think you all remember the great biblical theologian scholar, Ricky Bobby, who said this, if you ain't first, you're last. That may work well in sports, but not in relationships. Because he said, Paul is, is going to be getting at, and you're going to see this, that the world you live in, and especially the world that Paul lived in, was all about, if I'm not first, I'm last. In every relationship, not athletics, but in every single relationships. And this is what he's saying. Do not, do not, do not live this way in your life. Now, here's what's so fascinating. You know this. Paul's not telling you anything you don't know. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Every scientific study shows that the person who puts other people first is happier. The person who serves other people, not wants to get from other people, actually has a more joyful life. And so Paul starts out going, hey, you don't want to live a one-up, one-down mentality with the people in your life, especially those in your family. And he fleshes it out a little bit more. Here's what he says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in other words, here's a different way to live. In humility, consider others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but looking to the interest of others. Now, let me show you a few things in this verse while you look at it. It says rather in humility, consider others, consider others. The phrase literally means put a high price tag on. It's, it's, it's almost like an accounting word that you've thought about it. You've added it up. You've tallied some things together in your mind and you've made a decision. And here's the decision. You're more valuable than I am. So the price tag I'm putting on you 
is the highest price tag I could possibly put on your life. I'm considering you more than I'm gonna consider me. You're more valuable than I am. This is what he's saying. This is a different way to live other than vain conceit or selfish ambition. The price tag on your life, oh my goodness, you are so valuable to me. Now, can you imagine a marriage living this way? You did when you first dated her. And all you wanted to do was put a ring on it. And then when you got the ring on it and she said, I do, then it's like, yeah, okay, why don't you cook something for me? I mean, it's just like, it totally changes, right? But that's not how it started. It started with both of you going, oh, you're so valuable. You're so, you made time. You, you spent time talking. You pursued. You carved out calendar. I mean, this is what you did. Why? Because in your mind, this is the mentality of you considered high price tag on your life. You're more valuable than I am. This is what he says do. But then he uses an interesting word. He says, if we can go back to that, if you don't mind, real fast. Thank you. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vacancy. Rather, in humility, consider high price tag, others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but looking to the interest of others. The word looking is the word scopos. What word do we get from scopos? All the hunters in the room? Scope, that's right, we got one hunter, that's good. Uh, thought we'd have more living in Texas. Scope is the word. So here's what he says, put a high price tag on the other person and then you take the scope of your life and you zero it in on them and you say this, I'm locking in on your needs, not mine. What do you need? You scope them in your life and you say, I'm gonna put my energy, my thoughts, my words, my affections on what you need and what's most valuable to you because I'm gonna lock in and you are in the scopos of my life. Now, you know who does this more than anybody else in your life? Your dog. You open the door and you got the dog going, king's home, the king's home, the king's home, the king's home. Just rub me, just rub me, just rub me, just rub me. Now, cats don't do that, by the way. They're like, clean my litter box. But a dog honors you. A dog knows how to value you, your touch, your voice, your presence. They know what honoring and scopos is all about in your life. Paul goes, now I'm not saying go treat your spouse like a dog. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, wow, what a perspective if you could imagine us living this way with one another. It's a game changer. There was this moment in Jesus's ministry. <clears throat> it was actually a few hours, a few days before he would go to the cross. And he's with his disciples and his disciples get into this argument. Here's the argument. Who's the greatest, Jesus? Who's gonna be the greatest, Jesus? I'm, 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 I know I'm the greatest because I'm gonna sit on your right. That's the seat I want. Because in that culture, the Roman culture, if you got to sit on the right of the head dude in charge, you were somebody. So they're arguing. I'm going to sit on the right. No, 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 no. You're going to be on the left. Dude, you ain't even going to be at the table. You're going to be outside is where you're going to be. So they get into this argument and Jesus kind of shuts the whole conversation down. And he uses four words that are so transformational of how we should think about our lives in regards to this greatness and humility concept. Here's what he said in that conversation. He goes, whoa, 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 guys, guys, guys. You know, and they'll go, yeah, we do know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. 
Can we say those four words together? Not so with you. Not so with you. You're different. I'm asking you to be different, to think differently. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. As a matter of fact, the word he used is interchangeable with servant and slave. So he just throws them both in there. And, and listen, they got this. They're living in a Roman culture. They understood how the Roman world worked. This is why Jesus even referenced this. You know how the Roman world, how the Gentiles operate, right? That you're lower, they're higher, they're better than you. They're trying to get somewhere in their own life to be somebody. So they got it. Well, guess what? When Paul wrote the book of Philippians, he was in a Roman prison. He understood how it worked in the day. He's writing to a church in Philippi in the heart of Rome. They understood how it worked in Rome. So when Paul would write these words, hey, listen, don't be vain. Don't be selfish. Don't be conceited. Scope us other people's life. Put a high value. It was so foreign to how that world operated. Now, if you're not familiar with that world, uh, maybe you studied in school. I'm going to kind of take you back a little bit. Because there was, at the very top of the rung of the status, the royals. The royals. This was as high as you could possibly get on the ladder of success. The royals were the Caesars. They actually believed, many of them, that they were deities. Everyone else was just a cut below. And no one was like them. Could not be compared to the royals. And then on, next on the line, you have the Senate. This was the good old boys club. 600 men in Rome made up the Senate. They had all the power and all the wealth that made decisions. Can you imagine living in a world like that? Like there was like a, a Senate or a house or something that made all the decisions for people. Can you imagine? I, mean, I, know, I know it's foreign, but this is how it worked. And if you were here, you were somebody. You walked in a restaurant, people knew who you were. They made room for you. Third on the rung, the equestrian. Equestrian because this was such a social status club. Um, you had wealth. You weren't as in more in power than the top two rungs, but you were definitely in the club with society's viewpoint of who you were as being in this club. But the reason that you were really set apart is because the way you got around with a horse, that was a really, really, really big deal. Again, can you imagine living in a community to where you were elevated by how people viewed you by what the transportation you took? Can you imagine? It's crazy, isn't it? It's just so foreign to this. When you get down below the equestrian, here come the common folk, the citizens. Citizens were the Romans who wore togas. You can only wear a toga if you were a Roman citizen. Uh, you could vote. You were free. You were, uh, had a, had, if you got in trouble, you could go to a jury. You had a due process of law that you could govern yourself by. I mean, that the, that the community governed themselves by. Now, this is so interesting because it's close, but it's a totally different group of people. And they were definitely lower than the citizens. They wanted to be Romans, but they weren't quite. Freedmen. Now, there was just something different about them. They were, they were free, but they didn't have as much freedom as the city. Why? Because they tried to fit into the Roman culture, but they were just different. This would be your foreigners, 
your immigrants. This would be the Jewish people. This is where the Jews would live. And then there were even, even among the freedmen, there were different layers and levels where you actually lived and where you fit in and where you didn't fit in. And then last on the rung, anybody want to guess what it was? Your servants. Same word for a servant in that day was a slave. And the reason you have no picture is because you have no identity. You are a no one. You cannot vote. You cannot speak. You were seen not as a person. You were seen as a property. You were as low as low could possibly, possibly get. Now, this in the Roman world was known as the upper class. This was known as the lower class. Everything in the Roman culture reinforced this idea everything in the Roman culture. Um, it, it, in matter of fact, they actually had a phrase in the Roman world of wanting to not be here, but to be here. Not in wanting to be here, but to be here. And what they called it in the Roman world was the pursuit of honor. It was the pursuit of honor. I just need to move up. I 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 need to move up. Again, everything in the culture reinforced this pursuit of honor. When you went to a dinner, this is what the disciples were arguing about in Mark chapter 10. Who's going to be on your right? Who's going to be on your left? Where did they get that idea? The Roman culture. Because if you went to a dinner party, you got to sit at the head table. You just moved up. You're moving up in the world is what you're doing. Uh, this was reinforced with the Colosseum, the games. At the Colosseum, there were sky boxes, there were corporate boxes, there were season ticket holders, there were student section in the end zone, there were tailgaters who could never get in, they're partying outside. I mean, everything in the Roman culture worked this way. So it wasn't just where you sat, it wasn't just what your, your mode of transportation that defined who you were, guess what? It was also what you wore. I know this is so hard to fathom, but it wasn't just that you wore a toga it was what kind of threads are woven into your toga that people would know where you fall on this ladder as well. I mean, can you, ima can you imagine going to like, I don't know, school where like it mattered what kind of shoes you wore? Isn't that crazy thought? It's just so crazy, isn't it? That it really does matter. Here's what's so fascinating as well. They actually had a phrase for those who were down here, the less than the less than, the throwaways, the who cares, because you're never going to be in here. It would take a long time and a lifetime pursuit to move up a rung. The pursuit of honor to move up one more step. They would attach their satisfaction in life with the position and rank of where they lived in society. Again, I know we cannot identify with this. So foreign, I know. But they also had a word of when you fell because though it would take a lifetime to move up, they all knew you could fall in a moment if you lost your wealth. If something happened politically and you got kicked out of the good boys club, they had a word for moving down, not just the pursuit of honor. They had a word for moving down the ladder as well. And that was humility. Oh, you got humbled is what you got. To use that word for your life of where you used to be and where you are now 
was humiliating. It was not a virtue to be had. It was disaster for your life. It was suicide for your future. So when they would use the phrase, oh, you got humbled is what you got. You moved down to the less than. And then Jesus comes along and he goes, not so with you. Don't live that way. Don't think that way. Not so with you. Not so with you. He took the whole ladder system and the way of thinking about moving up, that I'm in the upper now. If I could just get one more, if my satisfaction, my joy is tied to this, if we can get this. He just flipped the whole thing on its head and goes, whoa, 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 not so with you. You wanna be great? Get to the bottom first. You go, that's tragedy. Not in God's eyes. It's not how he works because the faster you move down the ladder and you become a servant and slave to others, there is a rise of greatness that's happening in you. You cannot see, but it's happening. So not so with you. Don't view people this way. Don't live this way in your life. So when Paul is pinning these words, I'm just telling you, they're sitting back going, oh my gosh, this is what he's saying? How do we do that? And Paul is like, I'm so glad you asked. Because here's what he says in verse three. I put the whole thing up there for us because I, I, I want to talk about it. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, consider others better than yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but looking to the interest of others. How do we do that, Paul? I'm so glad you asked. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You know what he just said? Every day you get up, you get up and you think, who can I serve today? Every day you get up, you think, who can I put a price tag of high value on even if they're at the bottom of the ladder that I view them better than myself? Every day I get up, it's not who's gonna serve me today and what can I get out of this world? Every day you get up, you have the mindset of Jesus Christ that says this, this is not about me. Today is not about me. It's about somebody else today. And we go, how did Jesus live that way though? And Paul would be like, gosh, you have great questions. I'm so glad you asked. He fleshes it out. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Though he was the very nature of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Everything you just read right there was even though he started at the top as a royal, God himself, he did not consider, he did not put a price tag, he did not put a value on, I'm gonna hang on to my greatness, I'm gonna hang on to my right. He never came to this world playing the God card. You never see him looking at anybody going, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Why am I last in line? <laughs> I'm God. Oh, well, move, let him, let him get to the front. He never did that one time. He didn't consider it something to be grasped. He thought it through and he went, no, no. He says this, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a, what's the next word? Servant. The word is also slave. It's the same word. Not only was he God, he made a decision not to hang on to his right to be God at any moment, but chose, 
I'll go all the way down to be a slave. And he didn't stop. Here's what it says. Being born in human likeness. That phrase human likeness is very, very important. The phrase human likeness essentially means this, that he was human, so he was like you. But he was God in a bod, so he was not like you. He was human likeness. The difference between him being human and you being human is he never sinned. That's the difference. The difference is human likeness. And then it says this, and being found in human form, he even went further. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, I wanna show you something real fast. When it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, quit laughing, I hear you already, I hear you already. This is really good. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. This is the task that we have. Do nothing, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Consider humility. Consider others above yourself. Not looking. What was the word looking? Can you remember? Scopos is the word looking. To your own interest, but to the interest of others. And what do we discover that Jesus did? Our mindset is that though he was the very nature of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing. He went lower by taking the very nature of a servant or a slave, same word, and then he went more, being born in human likeness. Being found in human form, the word human form, it refers to he could have skipped out on knowing what it was like to suffer, but he didn't. He could have skipped out on knowing what it meant to grieve when his best friend died, but he grieved and wept and wept just like you grieve and, and weep. He could have skipped out on the form of knowing what it was like to be hungry or to be poor, but he didn't. He entered that. And then he did something else. He humbled himself. And not only did he humble himself, it went further. He became obedient. Not only did he become obedient, he became obedient to death. Not only did he become obedient to death, he became obedient to death in the worst possible form of death itself. What do we discover about our commander in chief? Instead of staying on top, he chose to lower himself over and over and over and over. And finally over. Why would he do such a thing on a cross so that he could look at us and say, not so with you. Follow my lead. Not so with you. Why would he do this? Because not looking to his own interest. Watch, watch. He put a high price tag on you to say, I'll start it. I'll lead the way. 
I'll be the demonstration and the example. Not so with you. Truly, by humbling yourself, the others would see it as humiliating. Humbleness, being humble, price tag on others first. Something's happening that you cannot see. How do we know that happened with him? Look at the very next verse, verse nine. It says this, therefore, because he did this, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. There we go. I did it. And under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's what Jesus would say. You want joy in your life? Follow my lead. And don't live for you. Let it be not so with you. Flip the world upside down. And when you walk out of this room, you ask yourself, who can I scope in on? Who do I need to scope in on? And put a price tag of value on them. And how do I serve them and become their servant to meet their needs above mine? Let's pray together if you don't mind. Just in your seat, as you consider what he did for you, that he put literally the crosshairs on your life to meet your needs, to serve you, to serve you in the worst possible way that a person can serve someone, to death, even on a cross, that he would say to you, I'm asking you to live the same way that I lived. For truly joy comes in humility and putting others first. So who is it for you? And maybe you just need to ask God, God, let me be your example for this individual for this family, for my spouse. Speak to my life on how to best serve them and the needs that they have above mine. God, I'm so grateful that we can come to a place and God, we can have fun, but yet at the same time be so challenged with how we view this world. God, we live in the exact same world that the Romans lived in. We live in the exact same world that the Philippians lived in that the first century Christians lived in, the disciples lived in. It's a world that is just all about us. But God, let us be a group of people where it's not about us, but it really is about you, following your example. We're so grateful how you came to serve us, how you came to be a servant for what we needed most, and it's salvation and hope and forgiveness and grace and mercy. God, let us flip that over to our relationships with our spouses, with our kids, with our parents, with our coworkers and friends. God, knowing that it truly is the name above all names, and that is the name we bow to, that we say you are Lord, and so we follow your lead. In your name we pray, amen.